0: OTB Listen, Tony, oh, he scored 3-4 the last day uh, Like I said it there during the week that, Like if you scored 3-4 in training you expect Michael D to come down the <laughs> helicopter <and>. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed Wherever you get your podcasts
1: Off the Ball
0: Daily and you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Remember, folks, Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Whether you're travelling to work in the morning or training in the evening, Brayburn will give you the boost you need. Available at Apple Green locations nationwide. Each week, we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn coffee goodness at an Apple Screen store near you. To enter, just check out at Off the Ball on Twitter. Just like and retweet our Brayburn competition post. And you're in the draw. Let's talk football now with the Cove Ramblers boss, Shane Keegan. Shane, how are you?
1: John, how are you getting
0: on? One-all draw with Galway last night, down at St. Coleman's Shane. Uh, are you, they're going to win the first division, we know that, but um, you must be obviously hopeful of the playoff going your way and you may get promoted. Is that an expectation or a hope or where are you at with that now?
1: Uh, I'd say that might give the the powers that be that run the club a heart attack if we actually did go up, John, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I don't know how well we'd be uh, equipped um, to be a Premier Division club. But uh, look, I'm sure they managed to deal with that headache if it was a headache that was presented. But look, the reality is Galway will go up as as league winners almost certainly, um, which means Watford will finish second there uh serious, serious side themselves themselves and Galway would be the only two full time sides in the division. Uh Watford will head into the playoffs as massive, massive favourites to 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 come through with which would be the expectation. But um but we're going very, very well, John. We would like to think that we have enough about us to to be in the playoffs when we get there. And look, anything can happen once you get that far, you know?
0: You met Don DC again last night, did you?
1: <laughs> I did, I did. He was uh Equally, uh, he just has a fantastic way of managing to compliment you and insult you in the one go every time he, <laughs> every time he opens his mouth. But uh, no, I shared a quick drink with him after the game. There, he's, he's some man, a great laugh.
0: So, Rovers, Shamrock Rovers, uh, is this a blip or is it something a bit more worrying for their fans? One point from six, and Derry and Pat's four points off them. A draw and draw last night.
1: Yeah, look, uh, I think there's so much quality at Shamrock Rovers and they've got such a good manager there that I, I would find it hard really to see anything other than them coming out on, on, on top of the league at the end of it the reason I suppose the timing is a concern obviously is that they're, they're heading into Europe John, um, you know, you go back a couple of weeks when they had put together a run of I think it was five consecutives with on the bounce, and it just looked like back to the old Shamrock Rovers, and this is this is exactly what you would have liked to see in heading into Europe. But then there's just been, as you said, this mini little blip at the real wrong time, um, and maybe it'll have no effect on them. Maybe it'll have no effect. Maybe they'll, they'll they'll roll into the into the European game and and be backfiring at full cylinders. But it's not ideal. It's not ideal. You would have you would have liked to see them heading into this game on the back of three or four wins in a row. So there's a, a, a little bit of concern there, but I wouldn't think anybody's hitting any panic buttons either at the same time.
0: Where are they in terms of being equipped for Europe this season, maybe compared to last year or the year before?
1: Well, I think the key difference, John, is I think their their attitude towards it. Um, I suppose Stephen Bradley made kind of no effort to hide the fact last year that, and I mean, his team selection showed it, that they were very much placing winning the league again um, as their priority. And I mean, you know, it's mad to do as well as they did to get into Europe. They then effectively you know, fielded almost shadow sides um, in their European games and, and put their strongest selection out in league games. I think that will be very, very different this time. Look, they still have to juggle on two fronts. The, the simple fact is that, you know, to stay in line with their, their plans and their aims and their expectations, they do need to make sure they win a league title again. Um, but I think we'll see them put far more emphasis on Europe. And I think once they decide that this is something they are going to go 100% after um, and want to do the very, very best they can in Europe, I think they have a fantastic squad. I think they have absolutely superb individual players within that team. Um, And when they all click, um, I think the the kind of, you know, you look at the opposition that they're coming up against in in this round and, and maybe even a round or two further, you would like to think that there's certainly enough quality to be able to mix it with those kind of sides.
0: You've obviously been involved with Dundalk in the past in European games, uh, famously against Arsenal. How does a European match at whatever level differ to a League of Ireland game? Probably
1: the biggest thing, John, is... The style of play element of it. Um, so Shamrock Rovers will be used to dominating possession in almost every game they ever play in the League of Ireland, because such is the quality there, and, and such as as I say, Stephen has made them a very very possession based side, no doubt about that. Um, and I, you know, I've had a quick look at Breeda and I've had a look at their stats, and they are by far and away the most possession based side in their league. So now all of a sudden, rather than it just being a a foregone conclusion that Rovers are going to have the majority of the ball and that all the knock-on effects that come in terms of how you prepare for the game and your game plan and all that, when you know you're going to, to have the majority of the ball, you prepare in a particular way. Now all of a sudden, that's not a guarantee. So therefore, how you prepare and the tactics you're looking to implement and your mindset towards the game it needs to be very 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 different and this is the biggest the, for me definitely this is the biggest thing about going into european games is a team that have been playing a particular way for you know two three seasons all of a sudden have to find a very very different way of playing i would think at home it will still be reasonably confident of maybe trying to to have the majority of the ball but away from home i would think they're probably going to say okay now we need to develop a different style. Now we need to learn how to to play without it and make ourselves really difficult to play and, and look to play on the counter. And look, they've had they've had a good bit of practice now. You know, they've won a good few league titles on the bounce. They're, they're you know, this is not far, far, far from their first voyage into Europe. So they've had a good bit of practice at it. And I think that will stand to them.
0: What about uh cooperation between clubs? So Pat's have got Doolalange, if that's the way it Right, just pronounce them. Um, yeah, I
1: think you're right, uh, near enough. Yeah,
0: yeah. Bowes had them a few years ago. So, would would there be any kind of collaboration, or does it not work that way between rivals?
1: <sighs> no, not not really, to be honest with you. Look, you might have you might have some exceptions where you know the managers of two clubs might be former teammates from their playing days, and and do manage to maintain a, a fairly decent relationship. What you'll find in the League of Ireland, John, is no matter how strong relationships are before people take up roles. Once you're there and once you're going head to head with people and once you start having an argument on the sideline or you start having a row over trying to sign a player and you're both trying to sign a player and you're both promising them different things. And, you know, it, it is very hard to to continue to get on with each other to any sort of high level. And like the reality is for most Pats fans, let's say, they don't really want both to do well in Europe. Most Bo's fans, they don't really want Pats fans. That to do well in Europe and that, that'll that be the same pr- across the management teams really to be honest with you there's you know you would like to think there's this lovely airy fairy thing where everybody is rooting for each other for the sake of the league yeah that's not the reality that's not the reality John because the better the better the Doc do in Europe more money, they then have to invest in their squad, which means the more chance of them signing the player that you wanted to sign the next time we come into a transfer window. So, no helping helping each other out in terms of European progression, I would say, is not really the done thing. So,
0: okay, the Premier League. What, in your view, has been the best transfer of the summer so far, and why?
1: Um, yeah, I'll probably I'll, I'll make a statement and, and contradict myself. I I think I think Arsenal have paid well over the odds for Declan Rice or looks like looks like I don't think I'm not sure if it's fully done and dusted yet 105 yeah 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 and it looks like like for me that is that is paying over the odds and it's that English player tax thing I suppose that people talk about that that throws an extra 20% or maybe even more um, on what the real value should be and yet, even though I think they've paid over the odds, I do think he represents everything that they need. I, I really, really do. Um, his game intelligence, John, you know, obviously he's not the most liked man um, in this country, so he's not, but you have to hand him his due. I, I do think he's turned into a fine player. I think his game intelligence, I'm pretty sure he he topped the the, the interceptions uh, table and possibly even the tackles table in the, in the Premier League this year, which is remarkable for, for a team that were down around the bottom for, for pretty much the whole season. He he reads it fantastically well, and his decision making on the ball is almost almost perfect. It really really is. And to be honest with you, I you know the, the football fan in me, even obviously we're we're uh, anti Arsenal men, myself and yourself. I am interested to see how he does with a club of that level. Um, I think he can have a massive effect in a team that was already very impressive this year. And I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fearful um, that he yeah. could be the perfect fit, perfect fit for the club. To be honest, John. Well, yeah. they're
0: almost showing ambition of title challengers that they really, really going to give this a go. Uh, whether City now can be overhauled is another question. But Timber's gone in there, Havertz has gone in there. They've kept Saliba. They're they they've doing everything right. It seems.
1: I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I really do agree with you. Um, and I think I think I think the Rice one is a no-brainer. I don't see how he doesn't. Impressed there, I think that's a, a a given. I think for that reason, I think the Kai Havertz one is is far more one that far more intriguing one because it's not nailed on that he's going to be a success there, and yet he has the potential to be a success there. If that makes sense, I mean, you know, the Chelsea setup just it really just did not not suit him, so it didn't. You know. There's so much chopping and changing from week to week how could you get any sort of cohesion um, he was playing this false nine role that now I I, I was interested to see there in the, in the transfer window that or sorry in the, the last international window that does seem to be where he's playing for Germany as well whereas I, I would never have looked at that as, as being his best position you know I think if you can give him that kind of traditional number 10 role floating behind an actual proper out and out centre forward I would have thought that's how you get the, the most out of him and I, I would have thought that Maybe that's how, how Arsenal look to use him. Obviously they have they'll have Gabriel Jesus there. If you've got Kai Havertz playing just off of him and a bit of freedom to go wandering around rather than having to be the, the pivot or the, the main focal point in their attacks, so I think you'll see you'll get far more out of him that way. And he is a player who has the potential to, to kick on because I mean when it comes to Germany, he's he's still pretty much near enough on the very first names on, on the team sheet, you know.
0: Yeah, he's a moments player. I think Kai Havertz obviously scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. Um, Thomas Frank is somebody I really like. I think I like the way he thinks about the game. Nathan Collins has gone to Brentford now. Six-year deal, which is a real vote of confidence in him. He'll have Ben Mee as a sidekick in defence. A good move?
1: Yeah. Uh, for me, it's 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 a super move for him. Don't think he did a whole lot wrong at, at Wolves, to be honest with you, John. I mean, you know, when a player is out of a team, it's usually for two... It's, it's for one of two reasons. Either he has played poorly when in the team and therefore he's been dropped for that reason or else somebody else has got picked ahead of him, be it through injury, through suspension or something like that. And they've just come into the team and continue to play well. And as a manager, then you're left turning to your player, particularly if they're a centre half, because, you know, they're not going to be brought on with 25 minutes left and given a chance to score a goal to force their way in for the following week, like a a midfielder or or, or a forward will. So you're left having the conversation with the centre back where you're saying, I'm looking at you in training. You're doing really well. You're a player I have faith in. But the simple fact is the guy who has your position in Jersey at the moment is kind of undroppable. He's playing really, really well from week to week. And until he messes up, you're just going to have to be patient. And I think that's kind of the situation that Nathan Collins found himself in at Wolves. I don't think it was massively through his own fault that he ended up on the bench. Um, and he's, look, we see him in in an Ireland jersey. I think he's a, he's a top, top quality player. Um, and you would like to think, as you've said, that that strikes me as a manager who's definitely capable of, of of getting the most out of him. And I, I think he has the potential to have a really, really good season this year for them.
0: Now, it's breaking news in the last hour that David De Gea is leaving Manchester United. It's the right time to undertake a new challenge, says the Spaniards. 32 years of age, 12 years at Old Trafford, 545 games. Um, obviously, he started his career at Atletico Madrid. Uh, it's a funny one, David De Gea. I, I always felt watching him that at times he was sensationally good. And other times he was like Calamity James. Uh, it, it, maybe it's a confidence thing with goalkeepers. But I wonder what his legacy will be at, at Man United.
1: Yeah, I actually heard Joe, um on, on, on Off the Ball, Joe had Andy Mitten on the other night, and I thought their conversation was was, was very, very interesting. Like, I, I wouldn't have realised, I'm not sure, did Andy say three or four times, but he's, he's been club player of the year either three or four times, I think Andy Mitten was saying. Like that, at a club the size of Manchester United, I doubt there's too many players in the history of Man United who have picked up the award, you know, three times. Um, So he has been, as you say, at times, he's been... The outstanding player at the club, the outstanding player at the club, and when he's at his best, I mean, if you put together, I mean, I suppose to hammer home the message you've just put together there, if you put together a highlights reel of David Ahea's best bits, it would rival almost any goalkeeper I can ever remember. In terms, like, you, you can immediately think to two or three sensational, absolutely sensational saves that he's made in a Manchester United jersey. Um, there's no doubt about it. And then you could also also put together the bloopers reel that, you know, if you wanted to zone in that, you could say, oh, how was this guy ever good enough to be in a Manchester United jersey? And that's, you know, that's him. I know that's kind of the life of goalkeeper to a certain extent, but I think even more so him. I don't think you could go to those extremes with the likes of a, an Ederson or an Allison. We probably haven't seen as many bloopers. Obviously, he took a while to settle in and there was major question marks over him at the, at the start, John, but... You know, he really, really did grow into the jersey. Um, and I think the more than a manager, look, everybody calls for the manager's head when things aren't going well. And then once he leaves, everybody reminds you of what a great fella he was when things were going well. I think that's kind of how it's going to work out here with David De Gea. I think a lot of Man United fans would probably say, oh, he's passed his best or, you know, he wasn't good enough for his last year. We need to move him on. And as soon as he does move on, I think a lot of them will say, but you know what? Overall, when you look at the big picture, geez, he was excellent for us.
0: Mason Mount, a bit of an odd one for me. When I was thinking about United uh, in the transfer window, I'd be thinking, well, they need to get a striker, they need to get a centre-half, uh, another attacking midfielder. Maybe it's a reflection on the likes of Eriksen and Sancho, but is Mason Mount going to be a winner with the fans?
1: Um, I think it'll definitely be a case of the jury will be out on that one, to be honest with you. Um, again, you described Kai Havertz well there as a moments player. Like, I I probably haven't seen enough moments from Mason Mount. Um, he is a guy who, like, there's the, the ability is unquestionable. It's there. Um, oh, no, no, It just seems to, I would have said two years ago, you know, this guy is going to be a massive, massive player for Chelsea, a massive player for England um, over the coming seasons. And look, I know he's had a little few kind of injury problems and stuff like that. Maybe halted it a small bit, but I think also he just hasn't gone and Grabbed his career by the scruff of the neck for me, and really established him as as somebody where you're saying, like this is a go to guy. This is a guy that we can completely and utterly put our faith in. I mean, where does he slot into? You know, I would be very interested to see what is where do where do United see him being a starting player? Um, is he going to play deep alongside Casemiro? Um, is he going to play in the ten? I mean, if he's playing in the ten, what are you doing with Bruno Fernandes? Um, he's for me. he's still got a bit to prove, John. I think, that, as I say, the potential is there. I expect the big things from over the last couple of seasons, and it's it's just drifted. And I suppose, from his point of view, he will be hoping that a move like this is exactly what he needs to kind of kickstart things again for him.
0: Liverpool needed midfield uh, replacements, and they've they've got the that in the form of Alexis McAllister and Dominic Zava'sli. Are are they? The players who are going to really sort Liverpool out in that department, uh, or do they need more reinforcements in the team? Is this good business, I suppose, is the, what I'm trying to get to at Liverpool?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, you did well to announce the second one, and I'm not going to bluff and, and say I know much uh, about him. I, I don't, he, he isn't one that would have massively come across my, my radar. McAllister obviously is one that we know far, far more about. Um, he had you know that that's, he's had an absolute fairy tale 12 months, he really has. Um to head off to a World Cup as as a Brighton player and somebody who was probably even heading to the World Cup. I think he was still floating under the radar, John. Yeah. Um. But he was out. He was he was brilliant when he got out there. Absolutely brilliant. And then he carried that form straight back into the remainder of his season. Brighton, obviously as a, as a club, had a had a superb season, and he was the fulcrum of all of that. And he's going to bring. He's definitely going to bring the energy um that's been missing. There's no doubt that energy has been missing there. With the drop off in form which was to be fair to liverpool uh, you know it's easy i get it i get that supporters are saying how did we end up going into the season with this midfield but i think the drop off in standard of fabinho even jordan henderson who is a, a player i really like i think that's been steeper um that decline has been steeper than the club would have predicted i think definitely and that's why they've been caught on the hop there a little bit i think be honest with you, the intriguing one on the midfield is going to be the shape and the tactics and how they go about it because essentially just copy and pasted the, the the pep uh, the pep tactic of the fullback moving into into centre midfield when you're in possession of it. Um, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. It's kind of a no brainer because it's ridiculous that, in my opinion, one of the top three creative players in the Premier League was been confined purely to the right wing. I mean you 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 want your most creative player in a position where he can have a massive influence on the on the whole pitch as much as possible and I know he was racking up assists from the right wing particularly the season before last he started to dry up a bit last season and I think that's why he, that that would be part of the reason that this move into the middle was prompted. He's looked brilliant since he moved in there. John he really really has uh, tr- obviously I didn't even say his name sorry Trent. Um he's looked brilliant since he's gone in there. Um, and as I say they're just literally doing the exact same as City it's just they, they play with a back four when they don't have it and then as soon as they have it he shuffles into the middle the right side the centre half comes across a bit and it becomes that 3-box 4-3 um, so it's going to be intriguing I assume they're certainly going to look to make that happen from the off this time around um, and if they can do that effectively it could make them a far more competitive animal than they were last season
0: and maybe make Trent Alexander Arnold a happier player
1: <laughs> oh, definitely. De- listen, definitely, no doubt about it. He he looks like a fella who is absolutely enjoying a, enjoying that new role to the maximum. And under- as I say, understandable. You know, like, like you have to remember that this is not a player learning how to play in midfield. Trent Alexander Arnold was a midfielder who had to learn to play right back. So it's a complete no-brainer. Um, he played he played center midfield pretty much his whole underage career at Liverpool, you know, sat down for his development plan as he kind of got towards the end of his academy contracts and they had a look and said, Right, what position do we think is up for grabs in this Liverpool side? Where could you make yourself a regular? And decided that it was right back. So they turned the midfielder into a right back. So it's absolutely seamless to flip that around and, and just have him revert back to, to the role that he pretty much learned his whole way through. Um, I think a big part of it as well is that right side of defence, um, because you need a, a good player who can kind of, you know, seamlessly wander out into that right-sided role when he's gone into midfield. Um, and in that sense, you know, I, I always think Kanate looks more comfortable at that probably than Matip does, um, and they probably need to keep him fit and available for, for that tactic to work to its best.
0: Has there ever been a transfer that surprised you or one that you were really disappointed about? Not even as a manager, but just as a football fan. That, oh, this, this this player really, really worked out. I never thought this would happen, and it's been a sensational transfer. Or on the other hand, oh my God, I'm so disappointed. I remember Ilya Dimitrescu at the World Cup was brilliant for <laughs> Romania. Went to Tottenham, who I follow, as you do. 18 <laughs> appearances, complete flop.
1: We've had plenty of them. Zolato, <laughs> Soldado, pretty much everybody who was signed with the Garibale money. Yeah, Ericsson's uh, side, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very true, yeah. One by one, kind of all flopped. I'm trying to think, have we had a version of it going the other way, John? Um, like I suppose Son. we didn't really... Yeah, I was just going to say it. We didn't really know fully, probably, what we were getting when, when Son signed. Um, you know, I think he has way, way over and above uh, succeeded any expectation that the club would have had for him. He's been the... He's been the shining light but it's easy it's reasonably easy to have been the shining light based on, on Spurs' transfer policy over the last few years I don't think we've yeah. got too many right I think to be fair to him I think Bentecourt showed um, a hell of a lot before the injury came along he is a fellow that you would like to think back fully fit could, could be a really really important player and has the ability to, to be a, a good signing but I mean, as Spurs fans, if we're talking about our own club, there's certainly been far more misses than hits over the last two yeah. seasons, that's I think for sure.
0: Seamus Coleman is the obvious one, I think, from an Irish perspective. Like ah, listen. 60
1: grand. Just, like, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible it is. And they'll do... You know, I remember I, I was actually... I was doing my A licence um, with the IFA up in the, up in the north. Um, and I was doing it with uh, Didier Gat. Didier Gat. And Didier Gat was down to the final three in the interview process for either the Hibs or Aberdeen. I can't remember. It was either the Hibs or Aberdeen job. Um, and he thought he was going to get it. He didn't get it in the end. But I remember him saying to me, that, there's got to there's got to be more Seamus Coleman's over there. Who are the guys? Who are the guys? Tell me. And I remember at the time, Chris Forrester was flying it. And I, I was singing the praise of Chris Forrester and Ronan Finn were flying it. It's a good few years ago. They were, they were the two standout players. And, you know, as far as it got was concerned, as soon as I am med manager, I will be phoning you to sign these two players. I want these two players straight away. Because <laughs> um, there are, there's gems, there's absolute gems in, in the league. But Seamus has, has has certainly been the, the, the cream of the crop in that respect, you know.
0: Was it Robinho? It didn't really work out at Man City. I think that was one of the, the ones that didn't work out. But anyway, we want, don't want to single out too many people. Uh, the women's team, Thursday, what was your take?
1: Um... I think it'll stand to them massively. I really, really do. Like, they were up against one of the best of the best here. And I think the scoreline was probably a little bit unfair to them. Um, I suppose France are of a quality that they are going to be extremely clinical. um, And that's what they were. I don't think they created chance after chance after chance. They just really, really took the chances that they had. Um, they were always going to have more of the ball. It was, but but again, that's exactly why they went and got this game as the last game before the World Cup. Because quite honestly, John, they're going to go to the World Cup and they're going to expect to be the team that has to suffer and play without the ball for the vast majority of it. Um, I think Carusa gave them a fantastic out ball, and I think she is going to be absolutely key to to us achieving anything or, or doing well out there. We know what we'll get from from the quality of of the likes of Denise Sullivan and Katie. Obviously, everybody's holding their breath a little bit on, on 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 Katie. You know, the last thing in the world anybody wanted to see was her coming be okay. off the field. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I saw some of the reports saying she expects to be back training training next week. Um, so no, they'll, they'll have learned a hell of a lot. And I thought, you know, against a team of that quality, I mean, the centre forward for France was absolutely outstanding. Um, and against a team of that quality, I thought they did reasonably well. As I say I thought the scoreline was was a little bit harsh on them. Um, and look, they're, they're just the excitement around it. The excitement around it is going to be colossal over, over the next month. And you're just really, really hoping they can go out there. And, you know, I think I think expecting them to come out of the group is, is probably, you know, a bit above what what is achievable in reality. But just go and give the best possible show you can. Be in it. Be in, in, in fights. Be in games. Um, and I saw enough in them the other night, particularly in that, that option with Caruso, to make you think that, yeah, set pieces, by the way, as well, would be another huge, huge thing for them watching the game the other night.
0: The noise around Vera Pau, do you think that's a distraction in any way for the players? Look, I don't want to get into the ins and outs of it, but just just in terms of the players, will the whole, the fact that they're going to Australia, they're going to the World Cup, they know they're going to be in front of 80,000 people, it's the best moment of their lives. You know, hopefully, the all the stuff that's been swirling around will be will be in the back burner.
1: I, I honestly don't think it'll distract them in, in any way, shape or form. I think people... <laughs> media people and and supporters and all of that kind of stuff, we tend to see the stuff that goes around the club, you know, be it all Newcastle and who they're owned by and and the grief they'll get and will that affect players or, you know, at League of Ireland level, you know, there's been, you know, situations where the ownership, there's been question marks around the ownership and question marks around discipline or all these kinds of things and that, you know, this question comes up regularly, will that affect the, the, the performance on the pitch? Players don't. Absolutely care nothing about all this kind of practice. All they want to do is is get on the grass. They don't read or or see half the things that we think they read and see. They're in their own bubble. They're just concerned about the next training session, the next match, all of that kind of thing. And I think they'll they're just going to be full of excitement and and, and ready for it to go. I think they'll be paying very little attention. It'll be if anything, it will it be a bit of a distraction for Vera, possibly. Possibly, she's the one who who does have to to deal with all this and 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 face the questions. And it has to be—I was going to say—an annoyance. I'm sure it's more than an annoyance. I'm sure it's something that probably is affecting her as a person deeply. I can't see how it it, it can have any other effect. Um, and the the timing of it being dug back up is, is mischievous at best. Um, and I think she's going to have to be very very strong to keep her head focused. I know if I was in her shoes. You know, my head maybe wouldn't be where I want my head to be heading into the biggest tournament of my life. But the players, I don't think it'll—I don't think it'll be add any effect on them, to be honest with you.
0: What's our expectation then? Get out of the group?
1: No, I—I think it'll be a big ask. I—I I really, really do. I think it'll be a big ask. I. I if I, I suppose my hope my hope is that it's it's still alive going into the final group game. My hope is that it's still alive going into the final group game and that they're able to, to go out with something to fight for and give it a give it a real real good rattle um but I like people need to understand that you know it's not it's it's not expected for this team to get out of the group and if they do achieve it, it, it ranks up there with one of the great kind of Irish sporting achievements in in my opinion. That's not to say they can't do it. They can absolutely do it. But if they do it, we need to respect what a monumental achievement that will have been. Shane
0: Keegan, Co Ramler's manager, great to talk to you as always and the best of luck with the rest of the season.
1: Cheers, John.